Well, now that you've heard the sermon twice already, we'll try a third time. My name is Jeremy. I'm the director of youth and young adults, and I'm so happy that you're with us. We've been going through the book of Acts, and we are currently in the chapters of 8 and 9, and you can turn there with me. Last week, we got to talk about a man named Stephen. Thank you, Pastor Allen and your team of Gary and Lindsay, to share the story of that. For those of you who weren't with us, let's repeat what that was about. There was one word that we focused on. Does anybody remember what that word was? It's Greek. Koinonia. Now, can you spell it? No, we did that. Okay. So we got it under control. Remember what that meant? This fellowship, this bond, Christian to Christian and person to God. And we saw that throughout the life of Stephen. He was in fellowship with other believers. He was taking care of the widows. And in the midst of his ministry, he was arrested for his faith. And he proclaimed boldly the faith of Jesus Christ because he was in fellowship with God. And that proclamation cost him his life. But even in the midst of his last breath, he was in fellowship with God. The story continues in chapters 8 and 9. The real life of the early apostles. This is no longer them waiting for the Holy Spirit. This is no longer them being trained. This is them going out into the real world. Before we get there, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in today, many of us with our own agendas, our own thoughts, our own desires for what this time is going to be. God, I pray that through the power of your Spirit, we will throw all of that away and that we will be open to your will, to your truth, to your word. God, these moments as we spend together and our whole life are not about us, but they are about you. Lord, help us to take ourselves out of our life and put you and you alone in it. Pray this in your name. Amen. I am not going to read all 83 verses of chapters 8 and 9, but we are going to look through these two chapters, and I want you to think about what are the needs that we see, how are those needs met, and once those needs are met, what happens to the life of that person? Well, let's start and look at the needs of the early apostles, starting with verse 1 of chapter 8. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. What's the need of the early apostles? It's safety. They have people all around them threatening their life, threatening to send them to jail. Now, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, we don't normally get that threat. But can I tell you, it happens around the world even today. 
Statistics say that every month on average, 255 Christians are killed for their faith. 104 are kidnapped and 160 are imprisoned. 520 Christians a month are either killed or put in prison or kidnapped for their faith. Roughly 16 a day. Can you imagine living in a place where standing for your faith meant that you could die? On Cedar Rapids, mostly we get, oh, don't talk about your faith here at the workplace. Oh, you're foolish to believe that there's some God up in the sky. Our persecution is verbal, where these persecutions are physical. We'll come back to the early apostles, but let's go on to a story about Philip and how he chose to live in the midst of this chaos. Fast forward to verse 26 with me of chapter 8. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch that of great authority under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, How can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. The need that the Ethiopian had was understanding. He didn't understand the word of God. He, he had it in front of him, but he didn't know what it meant. And I love the way that his need is met. Maybe at first glance we would say, oh, Philip met his need. But the truth is God knew his need way before he even knew his need. God knew his need way before Philip even knew who the Ethiopian was. It starts at verse 26. The need is met when it says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then again, in verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk beside that chariot. God knew the need that needed to be met. And he asked Philip, Go. And Philip was so in tune with God that he didn't ask another question, but he went He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know who he was going to be. But he followed God every step of the way. And then when the moment came where the need arose, God gave Philip the words to speak. You see, Philip didn't meet the need 
God met the need. Maybe some of us today sitting here have the same need. We don't understand the scripture. I don't know what it means. What does it mean? And God provides people. I pray he provides people in our lives to explain that. To give the good news, the truth. Because the truth is God's word is our guidebook. He created us and he didn't leave us alone, but he gave us a guidebook of how to live. And the truth is God's word will oppose our world. And we have to figure out what to do with that. But we know all too well, living in the corridor, that we are in one of the least biblically-minded places in our country. We don't understand the word, and maybe that's because we don't read it and don't care, or we read it and don't know, and, and we don't get the answers. We can relate to the Ethiopian Our community can relate to the Ethiopian. We don't know who will tell us. Maybe today and maybe this week, God is going to ask you to go to that one place and talk to that one person about the truth of his word. Well, there are other needs that we see in these two chapters. Now we come back to one of our favorite people, Saul. Remember, he's the guy who's going door to door, dragging people out and putting them in in prison. So let's see what happens to Saul. Chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Sounds like somebody you'd like to meet in a dark alley, right? So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But the Lord, but Lord exclaimed, Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, 
the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused much devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked, and didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. Saul went to Damascus with no idea what his need was. He had no idea that he needed Jesus. He was spiritually blind and then became physically blind. He had no idea. And then what I love is, again, God provides the need. He knew the need long before Saul knew it, long before Ananias knew it. He said, Ananias, go. Talk to Saul. And Ananias would probably respond exactly like we would. There is no way I am going to go to a house of a guy who is sent here to arrest me. Like, that would be suicide, God. This doesn't make any sense. And God's response don't worry, I have it under control. Just go. Trust me. God can meet the needs of anyone and everyone, no matter who they are or what they've done. And once again, Ananias was not the one who met the need. It was God through Ananias. And I love what happens. The change of Saul's life. He immediately starts preaching about Jesus in such a way that the leaders could not disagree with. And because his life was changed, he is now the one who they want to kill. Can you imagine the transition? And it only happened because of the power of God. Now, how many of us, or maybe people we know, are spiritually blind? They don't know their need for Jesus. We don't know our need for Jesus. It could sound something a little like this. I'm a good person. I'm nice to everyone. I love everyone. I read my Bible every day. I pray for those in need. And yet we're blind because those things get us nowhere in faith. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteous deeds are just filthy rags. When we try to do good things and be nice on our own, they're like filthy rags because they're out of our selfishness. They're about ourselves. Some of us may have come in here spiritually blind today. 
we have lived our life the way we thought we need to live. We've been successful. I mean, Saul was successful. Saul was wise. Saul thought he was doing the right thing. But he was blind to the truth of Jesus Christ. Today, I want to encourage you to take a step back because the only way we can understand our need is if we're vulnerable and honest with God and with those around us. May this congregation, may this space be a place of authenticity and vulnerability. It's really hard. We have wanted, we've asked people to share stories at church sometimes, and, and their response has been, I could never do that because I don't know what people would do with my story. If I admitted that I had fallen short, would people judge me? Would people look at me differently? Church, I hope we are a place that is able to walk through messy situations with each other. Where we can say we're struggling with something in our life and come alongside walking with love rather than condemnation. May we be a church that is open to walk together through our Christ has put us. Now there are other stories through the rest of the chapter 9. We see Peter coming into play where he goes into a town and, and God shows him a paralytic and he says, in the name of Jesus be healed. He stands up and he walks. And I love this because not only does the good news and the power of Jesus impact that person's life. But then it says, and everyone in the area believed in God. And then he's invited to another town where a lady has died and he raises her from the dead through the power of God. And then again, more people believed because that life had been risen from the dead. And now the apostles... What happened to the apostles? Remember, they were under persecution. You've heard this verse twice already today. Verse 31. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. The church needed peace and comfort. God provided peace and comfort for the church. And I love how it, I love this verse because it comes full circle from Acts 1.8. Right? You'll receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses, right? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. Acts 9.31. Where are they at? There's peace in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Exactly where God said, you will be my witnesses. And they have this peace because they live in the fear of the Lord. In other words, they have this peace because they honor God. They revere God and they respect God. They put God first. Now, I am currently going through a summer class for seminary and uh, reading this book called The Interior Castle by St. Teresa 
of Avila. And it's a beautiful, beautiful book. And the book challenges us to stop, uh, to start thinking more about God and less about us. So as we close today, I want to share a couple of quotes from this book. The first one is this. First, we must love God above all, unmotivated by self-interest. The second one is, what is most essential and pleasing to God is that we remember him and forget ourselves, and that we honor him and relinquish our own pleasure and comfort. Both of these quotes are saying the same thing. Love God above all. Put God first. Remember him. Honor him. And on the flip side, stop being motivated by our own interests. Stop being motivated by our own pleasures and comfort. That is the the church of Acts 8 and 9. They didn't care about their own comfort or their own pleasures. Wherever God asked to go, they went even Ananias into the face of possible death. And so the challenge for us today is this. I'm not going to challenge you to think of somebody to pray for. I'm not going to challenge you to think of somebody in your work that needs to know Jesus. I'm going to ask this week that you do one thing. is that you know God more. Because the more we know God and are open to what he once in our life, the more those people are just going to be right in front of us. We're going to know the need because God will speak that need to us. And then he'll provide the energy and the power to fulfill that need because of who he is, not because of who we are. So this week, don't go out with a list of things to do. Go out with one hope that you would know God more so that you could be used by him. Because I believe the same God who was in Acts 8 and 9 is still alive today. I'm guessing what's changed is the type of people in the world. Maybe we've become more about ourselves and our own schedules. How many of you wake up every morning saying, I have this, 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 and this to do? And God says, well, where's time for me? Maybe today I wanted you to go and talk to this coworker or that neighbor. Are you willing to wake up in the morning and say, okay, God, what is your schedule? Mine's no longer important. What does God have planned for you? Listen this week. Spend time with him. And I would love to hear where he guided you this week. Let's pray. Lord, there are needs all around us, some big, some small, most of which we don't even know. But you know, God. So I pray this week that we will humble ourselves, that we will cast aside our own desires and our own pleasures and our own interests. God, that we would only be interested in you and motivated by you. 
and concerned out of love and respect of you. God, help us to listen and help us to follow what we hear from you. And may you receive all the glory. Amen.